we're in our third week, fourth week of our six-week class on uh, the Westminster Confession of uh, Faith. Um, next week, uh, Sparky will be up here doing um, assurance of salvation, assurance of faith. And then the week after that, uh, Wes Jones will be wrapping it up with the law, the law of God. Good, thank you. So uh, this week I have uh, Perseverance of the Saints, uh, Westminster chapter uh, 17. So uh, let's dig right in, and I want to start by just looking at some, uh, some Bible verses that the divines had in mind as they were writing their chapter on the Perseverance of the Saints. Starting here in Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined uh, to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that they might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, very good, he also uh, uh, justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So notice here that Paul is thinking of the whole process of our salvation in the past tense. Uh, those who uh, he foreknew, he predestined, those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. Uh, and I mentioned this again in the new members class this week. I don't really consider this my glorified body. And, uh, but I have my glorification already in Christ, right? And I said, it's like uh, there's some, there's some uh, most of you know I'm from Appalachia, and my you know, ancestors, as anybody from Appalachia, my ancestors were farmers, and so there's some farmland out there that's been passed down through the generations, and my father has this farmland, and uh, there's a big, you know, no trespassing sign when you get to the gate for the farmland, but it doesn't apply to me. The no trespassing sign doesn't apply to me because that's my inheritance, so I already have it in my father. So there's a sense in which I don't possess it yet because my father's still alive. And there's a sense in which I do possess it in my father. And so in the same way, we have not yet been glorified. I'm, not, I'm looking out there and I'm thinking the same thing as myself. Those are not your glorified bodies. But we have it in Christ. We have an inheritance in Christ of glorification. So Paul is thinking for those who are... Uh, God's people, the whole process is a done process, and we have it in Christ Jesus. But he goes on, so what shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? All right, so if God gave you his son in the first place, which was the biggie, then how, how could it possibly be he won't give you everything else you need uh, to get you to heaven. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who can condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed intercedes for us. So pause and think about that for a second. God is interceding for... Uh, Jesus is interceding to the Father for his people. So for us to ultimately be lost would be for the Father to not answer the prayers of the Son. That's what it would take for the Father to not answer the prayers of the Son. Uh, 
Uh, he's raised, he's interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Uh, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, including yourself, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is the idea. He is, he, so as then Paul says in 1 Philippians 1, 6, I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If he started with you, He's going to end with you. He's going to finish. But it wasn't just the teaching of Paul. It was also the teaching of Jesus. And it's particularly, it's interesting. He comes up twice in John. We're going to read John 6 and John 10. It comes up twice in John. And it comes up in the context of answering the question as to why the Pharisees have not believed. So Jesus has presented himself and the gospel to the Pharisees and they have not believed. And he's, he's answering in front of them the question, why is it you Pharisees haven't believed in me? And so here's the answer. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. All right? Only those whom the Father gives to me will come to me. And if he gives them to me, I will never cast them out. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. Okay? If God has given you to me, says Jesus, then I will never cast you out. And this is his will, that I should lose nothing of what he gave to me. Well, what is it he gave to me? My people, the elect, the chosen ones, those who are trusting in Christ, He will never cast out, but will raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So, anyone who looks to me will make it to the last day. So, Pharisees, why do you not believe? Because God has not given you uh, to me. And if God does ever choose to give you to me, then you will be... Uh, raised up at the last day. Same thing, John 10, dealing with the same issue. Uh, starting at John 10, 25b, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, again, including yourself. He is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. So, in light of those types of uh, scriptures, then the divines write, they whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but certainly shall persevere therein to the end, and be eternally saved. So, 
Those whom God hath accepted and his beloved effectually called and sanctified spirit can neither totally nor finally fall away, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be saved. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Can neither totally nor finally fall away from a state of grace. Right? Can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace. This is where I'm going to go to the whiteboard for a second. Anybody who's ever had a teenage son has at some point had the son ask, uh, can I have some cereal? Right? Can, I have some, can I eat out of that box of cereal? Unless you just ban cereal from your house. Teenage boys can consume some carbs. And so the one answer you might give is, is n- no, that box is for breakfast for the next three days, and we need that box. Another answer you might give is, well, don't eat the whole box. Because you know what's going to happen if you answer yes they're going to eat the whole box, right? So you answer, don't eat the whole box. Now, don't eat the whole box is a yes, right? You just answered yes. You, you may eat, but don't eat the whole box. You can eat a partial box, right? You can eat a partial box, but don't eat the whole box. Notice the divines didn't say, no, can someone fall away from grace? Can someone fall away from the state of grace? Well, they can't totally fall away from the state of grace. So that would imply they can partially fall away from the state of grace. And notice they said, you can't finally fall away from the state of grace. That would imply that you can temporarily fall away from the state of grace. Now, I hope a lot of you people who have been in the Reformed Church for a long time are getting uncomfortable. (laughs) All right. So here's where we're, here's where we are, here's our problem. This is why Pastor Bullock back there is thinking, why did I let him be a ruling elder? We are associating the state of grace with justification. In our mind, we're thinking state of grace equals justification. And if that's the case, then you can't partially fall away from a state of justification. You can't temporarily fall away from a state of justification. But that's not how the divines are using the phrase, the state of grace. They're using the phrase, the state of grace, to mean the whole process of your salvation. Regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification. That whole process is what they mean when they say the state of grace. And so they're saying that you as a Christian will persevere through that whole process. Now, I've heard Reformed people say that they don't really like the word perseverance and that they prefer the word preservation uh, because perseverance makes it sound like it's something that we do. We have to persevere. You know, you, you, you got a hard task, and you just persevere through the task. 
And, uh, and so they say, we, I prefer the word preservation. The Lord preserves his saints. He's the one that keeps them in, keeps them in that state of justification. But the divines didn't use the word preservation. They used the word perseverance. And Tad Van Dixhorn in his commentary uh, which is, uh, on the Westminster Confession, which is probably the best thing ever written on the Westminster Confession, said it's not a bare preservation. God does not just keep us in a state of a justification. He keeps us in a state of grace. In a state of grace, you continue to grow in sanctification. So he's preserving us in a state of grace. And as a part of that, we have to persevere in sanctification. It is God's work, but it's a work that we choose to do every day. You, grow up, you, you, you have to get up every morning and choose, this day I will follow Jesus. You have to persevere in your faith. So let's go back then to Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. This is what the divines are thinking about when they say the perseverance of the saints. He who began that good work in you, regeneration, justification, is going to bring it to completion, sanctification, glorification, on the final day, right? So perseverance isn't just, it's not just once justified, always justified, that's true, but that's not perseverance of the saints. That's not the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. So it's not once saved, always saved. That's true, but that's not the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is once he's begun a work of salvation, regeneration and sanctification, he will certainly complete it, sanctification and glorification. If he's begun regeneration and justification, he will certainly complete it. Again, Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Or, as the divines put it, they whom God has accepted his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from a state of grace, but certainly will persevere therein, that whole state of grace, that whole process, and shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Okay, so we're going to talk about in the third section, it's three paragraphs, we'll look in the third paragraph what temporary and partial falling away from the state of grace might look like in your life. But just know, they're starting with, you, he, who, has, he, who has started a good work in you, will certainly bring it to completion in the end. All right, so chapter 2. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, uh, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding spirit and of the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from from all which arises, arises also the certainty and inability thereof, the certainty and inability thereof to fall away. You cannot fall away. All right? So let's just back it up. The perseverance of the saints depends upon the immutability of the decree of God's election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of the Father. So 
what is the foundation of the fact that you will, if he starts with you in justification or election, that he will finish with you in glorification. Well, the, the foundation of that is the unchangeableness of his decree, which flows from his free and unchangeable love. He's loved you because he's chosen to love you, and if he loves you, then he cannot change. He can't, God can't love you today and not love you tomorrow. God can't love you now and love you less tomorrow. He can't love you now and love you more tomorrow. He is unchangeable. If he's placed his love on you, you have his love, and his love cannot change, all right? So what's, if someone says, how do you know that you're going to be saved? You say, because God loves me, and he does not change, right? But there's more. There's more than that. We also have the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, all right? How do you know you've been saved? Because it's not up to my good works. It's up to what Jesus did on the cross. The merit that he earned on the cross gets me into heaven. So it doesn't have anything to do with me. Therefore, I'm, I'm good, right? That's, no, that's how I know I will make it to the end because Jesus has paid the penalty for my sins. And not only that, now he's interceding for me with the Father. So the merit of his works and his intercession means I'm going to make it. No matter what I feel at the moment, that means I'm going to make it because of what Jesus did and what he's currently doing. And then not only that, it gets better. Not only the Father's love, the Jesus' work, the intercession of Christ, but the abiding Spirit and the seed of God within us. So the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus said it was actually better for him to leave, which always blows my mind. He looked at his disciples and said, it is better for you that I leave and send you the Holy Spirit. And so we get that Holy Spirit. God is working in us. We have the seed of God uh, within us. That seed of God within us is not language we usually use. That's a little odd. Uh, I I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on the seed of God within you, right? Uh, But they they get that from from, uh, 1 John. 1 John uh, 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So John thinks of the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as the seed of God within us, uh, uh, making us new, regenerating us, helping us to be born again, born of God, born from above, John said in his gospel. And so that's what he, I mean, that's what they mean when they say the seed of God within us. You have the seed of God within you. You have the Holy Spirit. And therefore, not only is God's love for you unchanging, not only has Christ paid the penalty for all your sins and is at the right hand of the Father praying for you, you have the seed of God within you, the Holy Spirit abiding in you. And so because of these things and because of the nature of the covenant of grace, uh, uh, you can be assured that God will bring you to, to salvation on the last day. So the nature of the covenant of grace. When Jeremiah, when God was prophesying through Jeremiah about what the new covenant would be like, he said, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them uh, to, the, uh, to do them good. I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts 
and they shall not depart from me. This was going to be the nature of that new covenant, that I would put the fear of God into their hearts, and they will not depart from me. That was, that was the, the extra good news of the new covenant, that I will write my word on their hearts. I will put my fear in their hearts. I will give them that seed of the Holy Spirit, and they shall not depart from me. Uh, so the nature of the covenant of grace, uh, there ariseth a certainty of the inability to uh, walk away finally and totally. Now, now we get to chapter 3. Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, the neglect of the means of their preservation, fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein, wherein they occur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments uh, upon themselves. So, nevertheless, they may fall into grievous sins. Nevertheless, they may fall into grievous sins. So, this is what they mean by partial and temporary. They fall from the state of grace partially and temporarily by falling into grievous sins. Um, and they for, thereby can incur the displeasure of God and grieve His Holy Spirit. So, let's think about that for a second. Remember last week, we were talking about good works. And we said one of the ways we can fall into antinomianism is by thinking that, uh, that because our good works always have a mixture of corruption in them, that we can actually never do anything good, so why try? That was one of the ways that we could fall into antinomianism, antinomian, anti against nomos, law, against the law. We could come to a belief that the law is no good uh, by thinking, you know, I can't really do it anyway, so why even bother? And we, we showed in the good works that God in Jesus Christ accepts our good works and is pleased. They use the language of pleased with them. We can please God with our good works. And here... They're saying when we fall into sin, God is displeased. Now, just a minute ago, remember, just five minutes ago, we said that one, one of the reasons we know that uh, God, that, we won't, that we'll make it to the end, that we'll persevere to the end, that if we're trusting in Christ, if we've uh, been born again, we will continue all the way to the heavenly kingdom. One of the ways we know that is that because God loves us with an unchangeable love. So the divines purposefully use these words differently, love and pleasure, right? God cannot love you more than he does right now. When you're in heaven and are completely sinless, and in a glorified body, he will not love you more than he loves you right now, right? If 
you fall into some terrible sin tomorrow, God will not love you less than he loves you right now. God's love is unchanging. But he can be, and says throughout the scriptures, that he is pleased or displeased with his people, right? We understand that this is how it works, and it can work this way in families. Susu has always loved me. From the day I was born to today, my mother has always loved me. When I was 12, she did not like me all that much. (laughs) And I deserved her displeasure, right? So her motherly love has been unchanging. But based on my behavior, there are times when she has been more pleased or displeased with me. And God has communicated, he's condescended to us to explain the way he deals with us in those kind of familiar language that we use when we talk about our own children. So, uh, he's, you know, God is, in one sense, incomprehensible. We really not understand how it all works in the mind of God. But God says, okay, here's how you can understand it. A parent always loves their child. You know, my, my, uh, back to, to my, you know, to this inheritance that I have of this land. My father often says to me, if I have a nickel, you have a nickel. And he means, if you need something, I am here for you. No matter what, if you need something, I am here for you. If I have a nickel, then you have a nickel. As long as I have it, it is yours. If you need it, it's yours because he has a fatherly love for me, right? So we have an inheritance in Christ that is unchangeable. But Again, my mother and father can be pleased and displeased with me. I uh, love all four of my children, but any number of them have pleased or displeased me over the years. And God says, that's what it's like. That's what it's like in my relationship with you. And so if you fall into sin, then you can displease God. And if you are striving to do what is right, even though it's mixed with uh, our, the remaining corruption, he is pleased. He really is pleased when we do good works. God really can be pleased with you. He's happy that you are here today. God is happy that you are in Sunday school, that you're going to worship him in the next hour. He likes that, right? And if you decide to just blow off church for the next year, he will be displeased. He dislikes that. So uh, 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 we can, by falling into grievous sins, displease God and grieve the Holy Spirit. So, again, in chapter 2, we said we, were, we knew we were going to preserve because of the free and unchangeable love of the God of the Father. In paragraph, in paragraph 3, rather, in paragraph 2, we said that. Paragraph 3, we said... God can be displeased with us. All right? So here in the one chapter, they're hitting both. Unchangeable love of God, displeasure of the Father. And because of the displeasure of the Father, we can come uh, to be deprived of some measure of the graces and comforts, have our hearts hardened, our consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon ourselves. Oh, let me back up. 
I love this example of, this, of God's unchanging love versus his displeasure. Uh, 2 Samuel 11. Uh, David has committed adultery with Bathsheba and gotten Uriah killed. And, uh, and 2 Samuel, at the, kind of the end of the process, at 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven. Uh, the, the child of their adulterous affair has died. And when, da- when the morning was passed, David and sent and fetched Bathsheba from her house. The morning for Uriah the, uh, uh, had passed. David and fetched Uriah, uh, to, fetched Uriah to his house. And she became his wife and bare him another son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. David committed adultery and murder. And it doesn't say that God took his love from David. God promised his undying love to David. He didn't take his love from David. But God was displeased. And so that's how uh, we should think of these things um, we, we read 1 Corinthians 11 every week as a part of um, our, uh, before we take the Lord's Supper. But there's a section right below where we stop that's really interesting. Wherefore, whoever, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty, uh, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and then so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats, the, uh, eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment to himself. Uh, so that's where we usually stop, but it keeps going. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And so there is a sense in which we cannot be, we cannot be judged for our sins because they're paid for in Jesus Christ. You will not pay the ultimate penalty for our sins. But here it talks about God judging us that we might not be judged with the world. And so what does that mean? What what does it mean that he's judging us so that we won't be judged, right? He's judging us like a father, like a displeased father when we approach the Lord's table in an inappropriate manner, when a Christian comes to the table. So there's two different applications of that statement that, that Dennis makes every week before the Lord's table. There's, there's the don't come if you're not a believer because you can be eating and drinking God's ju- ultimate judgment to yourself. You can be increasing your guiltiness before God. But there's a way for a believer to eat and drink inappropriately. And if so, God will, in his displeasure, judge you, a.k.a. discipline you, and so that you won't be receive that other kind of judgment. He will discipline you like a father and bring you back into the way that you ought to work. 
And so that's why they then add this last phrase. Um, if we fall into sin and displease the Father, we can become deprived of some measure of our graces and comforts and have our hearts hardened and our consciences wounded and we can hurt and scandalize others and bring temporal judgments upon ourselves. This is what we, we can do if we fall into grievous sin. What we can't do is fall out of God's love. So I think just to kind of put a bow on both last week and this week, the divines want to stress over and over and over again, you are saved by grace. You are saved by grace alone. You get into heaven because of what Christ has done. You're trusting in Christ for your salvation. But that doesn't mean that you then can let go and let God, right? That it is now given to you to work and to please God and to do those things that he calls you to do. And because you can receive, even as the people of God, even as those who will uh, uh, assuredly cross the finish line, uh, uh, you can still displease the Lord and you can have your comforts taken away and, uh, and you can have your heart hardened and you can have your conscience wounded and you can hurt and scandalize others and you can bring temporary judgments on yourself. And what the divines want to say is please don't limp and fall across the finish line. Run. Run hard. Run the race that the Lord has set before you. Run to that, you know, this is a marathon. Run and, and cross that finish line in, in, in the power of the Lord, bringing pleasure and honor to his name, not scandalizing each other, uh, not uh, causing, you know, not shooting yourself in the foot as you uh, run the race of the marathon, as it were. Please uh, run hard, persevere, uh, strive with all that was in, within you, trusting in the Holy Spirit. So the, the third membership vow, uh, uh, do you promise uh, to... Uh, endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ. What the divines are saying is endeavor. Endeavor hard. Work hard. Endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ. Not so that you can get into heaven, but because you want to please the man who saved you. God has saved you, and you want to please him. And so endeavor, endeavor to, to please him. All right? So that's all I got for today. We're way ahead of schedule. Have you got any questions? Or comments or observations. Yeah, Deborah. Uh huh. <laughs> right. Well, remember I said the mind of God is ultimately incomprehensible, but He condescends to show us in a way that we can understand. So. Yes. Chastising us, right? He's, let's just say spanking. He's spanking us, yes, when he's spanking us. Uh, no, I wouldn't. No, not, not like, not in the, they want to say certainly not in the same degree, right? They're, he, they're saying if you're endeavoring and you're striving, you are pleasing God. 
you know, like a parent. You know, when the, you tell the kid to go clean the room and they go and they clean the room, you're pleased, right? You're happy. And when, uh, when they just say, no, no, I won't, then you bring judgment. You bring chastisement, right? And so I would say, I wouldn't say that God is constantly chastising us, or, but that he, he does chastise us, right? Trimming the line, yeah. Pruning, yes. So, so maybe, maybe this is a way to think about it. All right. Let's, it, 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 you want, I know what you're wanting to do. You're wanting to say he's constantly chastising us so you can say that he's not changing, right? But, but the, the difference is me, right? The difference isn't him. The difference is me. In scenario one, I said yes to the Lord. In scenario two, I said no, right? And so uh, yes brings A, the affirmation of the Lord. No brings B, the condemnation of the Lord or the displeasure of the Lord or the chastisement of the Lord. He's not doing anything different. I am, right? If, if, all right, so let's, let me, let me, let me just write it out. Yes brings his pleasure. And no brings his displeasure, displeased. Now, if a week later I do a yes and he responds with displeased, he's changed. And that's the problem with the world's gods. They're capricious. You never know, right? Dennis, with the world's gods, you never know whether they're going to give the answer of pleased or displeased. You do the same thing twice, and you do the same thing twice, and, and the capricious God gives you a different answer. But the unchanging God, if you are obeying his word, he's pleased. And if you're not obeying his word, he's displeased. So he's not changing, you are. Is that helpful? Okay. Anything else? Yeah, Dean. Oh, I'm sorry. I, let me get, Matt was, was next. I'd forgotten. Yes, yeah. <laughs> right. Right, because it, it could be that... Temporarily fall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. So uh, I would say we, we do, uh, as the session, we're doing what God does, right? In that, remember, uh, remember that 1 Corinthians 11 we read where he was judging them that they be not judged with the world. He's going to judge them now temporarily uh, so that, or in hopes that, they would not be, you know, judged with the world, you know, and they would not, in other words, judged with the world, that's, that's hell, right? That's when God judges the world. He sends the world to, to hell, right? And God brings chastisement. That's, the, that's how they're using it here, they're using the same word in two different ways. Here they're using it, you know, Paul's using it for chastisement, it being judged by God, that they may not be judged. So, so spanking. <laughs> God will spank us so that we, to wake us up. And I would say what the session does is the, is the, is the same sort of thing, right? Um, when we bring someone into membership, we're looking for two things. Do they say the things that Christians say? 
and do they do the things that Christians do, right? So do they say, meaning, I am trusting Christ alone for my salvation. Do they say the things that Christians say? And do they do the things that Christians do? So do Christians live a perfect life? No, they do not live a perfect life. But what they do is they endeavor. They endeavor to live as becomes. They're fighting. They're doing this exactly what we're talking about in the chapters on good works and preservation. They are seeking to please the Lord, right? So they're doing their good works. So they say the right things and they do the right things. But then Mr. Fender runs off with another woman to Las Vegas, uh, and is uh, doing cocaine. Was there something else that I missed? Oh, homosexual. That's right. He ran off with a man. That's right. To Las Vegas to do cocaine on a regular basis. And, uh, and so we go, now it doesn't really matter what he says. He's not doing the thing. He's not doing, he's not, he's, he's quit endeavoring, right? It's not that he was tempted to do cocaine or once did cocaine and now feels really horrible about it and wants to never do that again. You know, it's, it, it's, not, it, it's not that he, he ran off to Las Vegas and then went, what in the world am I doing? Rebecca Fender's the greatest wife in the world and came running back, right? It's that he's quit endeavoring, right? So he's quit doing that thing that Christians do, endeavoring to please the Lord. And so as the session, we bring judgment, Now, we don't ultimately know whether we're bringing this one or that one, right? We're hoping it's this one. We're hoping that we're excommunicating Mr. Fender from the church in order to wake him up to the sin that is in his life and that he has quit endeavoring to pursue God and his holiness, right? We're hoping that this is God's spanking, but it may be God's judgment right? We just don't know. In the same way on the other end, so that's on the, the kicking out end. On the bringing in, on the bringing in end, if someone is saying the right things and seems to be doing the right things, then we can't actually know the heart of the person. Are they really trusting? Because all we can see in the session is the outside. And so we bring people in based on what they do and what they say, not what's in their heart, because that's beyond us to do. And so uh, they may very well be fooling us. They may be, they, may be, uh, they may be lying about what they believe, and they may be doing their sins in secret that we never see. Okay, so now watch this. Good works. Last week, we have to do good works, right? We have to persevere there into the end, right? You have to, it's not preservation, it's perseverance. So it is God's work, but we're working with him. We're persevering. We're endeavoring to live as becomes a follower of Christ. We just talked from Pastor Bullock from the, from the, 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 from the uh, parables that we can fool ourselves. You know, we went, we went faith with, with, uh, with nails a few weeks back. Then we went, we went repentance, and you have to repent. Then we did good works. Now we talked about perseverance, and then we went, some people fool themselves. <gasps> How do I know if I'm a Christian? How do I know if I'm not the one that's fooling myself? Sparky's going to talk about assurance next week. So, but you see, see, the, see the logic of what the divines have done. They've, they, they've driven, they started with faith alone. You are saved by faith alone. Then they drove us into this position where we're going, 
oh, do I have faith? And now they're going to come back with assurance and say, this is how you know. This is how you will know that you have faith. This is how you can know you're not fooling yourself. Okay, Matthew 23, go ahead. 723. I never knew, yeah, depart from me. All these good works I did, depart from me, I never knew you. Yeah, see, that's, that's where the divines have driven us. And am I one of those? Am I one of those that God will look at on the last day and, and I go, hey, man, I, I worked with PDM and I was an elder at All Saints and I taught the new members class for 15 years. As, and God goes, depart from me, I never knew you. Right? Is that, is that me? And Sparky's going to tell me next week that the answer is no. <laughs> right, right. Yes, yes. So a couple of weeks ago, I used the example um, when we were talking about repentance. I used the example of the, the, when I was preaching in West Virginia, of the guy uh, who was, who he wasn't quite Matt Fender in Vegas, but he was, he was pretty much a scoundrel and, uh, and had just passed away when I arrived in West Virginia. And somebody came to me and said they were confident that he was in heaven because they remembered 40 years ago when he walked an aisle and accepted Jesus Christ into his life. And I'm like, I would not have confidence that he's in heaven because there was never any view of, of, there was never any expression of sanctification. I don't see any perseverance at at all. And so, uh, you know, I just wouldn't, you know, I, I didn't have this conversation with the person that was grieving. I just, but in my head, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't share your confidence. And, um, and so if you've got a, a person who comes to faith at a young age and their, their life, uh, you know, we all have the ups and downs in life. Like, but we hope that our lives, like the stock market, do this, that the trend line is that way, right? If, if, you've got, if you're going to a funeral of a person who... You just see this in their lives. Even if they died right here, right, you're, you're, you're like, I have some fairly significant confidence that this person is in heaven. Now, if they died right here, <laughs> you're like, I have a lot of confidence that this person is in heaven. But again, you can't know anyone's heart, so you don't know for sure. Um, and I think, uh, uh, so this, you know, kind of goes back to the, I, I, you know, I... I trust the church, and when the if the church has not kicked them out, then I I rest in confidence that they're in heaven. But if the church has kicked them out for running off to Vegas, then I uh, he's going to regret that for years. Uh, then then it is possible that they're saved. You know, no one would have guessed the thief on the cross would be saved, right? By, by looking if. If they weren't there at the cross and heard the profession at the end, they were just looking at his life, no one would have guessed he was saved. Um, so we don't, we don't know the outcome of anybody because we don't know their heart. Only God knows their heart. But we speak in terms of our confidence, our hope for them, 
And, and so, yes, I would have less hope for somebody who in the last 20 years of their life was not walking with Christ and have more hope for someone who was walking with Christ very faithfully all throughout their life. But ultimately, I don't get them into... My, my confidence doesn't get, get them into heaven or hell. So... Right. <laughs> yes. Those who are effectually called will persevere to the end. Right. So this is very relevant to those who aren't effectually called because they might be one of those that Pastor Bullock was talking about that heard the word. They heard the external call of the word, right? And, and they received that external call with, with joy, but they never got the internal call of the Holy Spirit taking away the heart of, flesh, uh, heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh. Pray. Pray. Pray for those whom you're... Well, pray for everybody. So pray for the ones you're confident are doing well, and pray for those whom I've, I've walked away from the faith. Pray. Yeah. We're back to the means of grace, right? What saves us is word, prayer, and sacraments. And so they've walked away from the word, and they've walked away from the sacraments, so pray. Pray, pray, pray. Because, uh, uh, you know... The, uh, the uh, read them the parable of the persistent widow, right? That's, that's where God says, you just, you keep asking. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is, this day's coming for you too, right? Um, yeah, so, yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot of different things going on there. You know, make sure that, make sure that you're not the, you're not the man, you know, that, you know, that you're, that, you're not that, that one that's going to uh, come, so you, you, need, you, need, you need to point that out. Uh, then there's just the grief of the loss, right? Uh, you know, uh, apart, quite apart from the loss of the um, believer versus unbeliever, there's just the grief of the loss you're dealing with. And, and there it's, uh, it's Christ, right? It's, uh, Christ is the answer to your grief, whether it's a, a believer or unbeliever. Typically, you know, I, I've, I've had to preach a few sermons, and, and I find that there's always some characteristic, as I'm talking to the family, there's some characteristic of Christ in that person. Even, even the, like, the really scoundrelous ones. There's something. You never walk away from the image of God. And so those who love them are missing some aspect of Christ in them. They were hospitable. They were loving. They were a great leader. They were something and, and so my funeral would usually be on how Christ is that thing. Christ is the loving one. Christ is the hospitable one. Christ is the leader. And so although we've lost this in our lives by losing this person, we still have that in Christ. We can, we can look to Christ. So, and the Bible does this, that, that God is the husband to the widow, Right? It uses that language. And so whatever the loss is, you can point to Christ. So you've got the, you've got the how, you've got just a lot of different kind of grieving things going on. And, uh, but yeah, I think the one thing, you know, you can talk about how we can always have hope that the thief, you know, on the cross went to heaven. Uh, but what you can't do, Sparky, is pray him into heaven, right? You can't get a dead person into heaven I mean, preach him into heaven. I said, pray him into heaven. Preach him into heaven. You can't get a, a, an unbeliever into heaven uh, by words of comfort to a grieving friend, right? So, all right. Thank you very much. We'll see you over in worship.